All I can say is to quote Michelle Obama, when they go low, Caro, we go higher. The fact that the men have agreed to parity with the women is the groundbreaking part of this deal. Our Matildas are far more successful internationally than the Socceroos. She talks about going home one night from the Supreme Court and curling up in a fetal position in her bed and not being able to move for a couple of hours. I know that feeling and so do you because you and I have covered in the past tragic, terrible stories. And I don't know whether shopping is just not something I do as often anymore and I'm sure um, there'll be people in my family very happy to hear me say that. <laughs> what is more interesting is people's attitude towards stuff and do I have too much stuff? Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome everyone to episode 107 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I am Corey Perkin and I'm here with my dear friend Caroline Wilson. Hi Carol. Hello, Corrie. I'm Race sitting week. here. Well, yeah, I'm shivering away because we're sitting here in mid-November and I'm still freezing. What is going on oh, with Melbourne's so weather? Over the weather. That's a really bad way you to always start hope the podcast. Me- I know. You always help as a, hope as a Melbourneian when you know the world is watching something like the Melbourne Cup, and particularly our friends in Sydney. You always hope it's just crackerjack day after day, and all the Sydney people are going, "Oh, look at the Melbourne weather! Doesn't it look lovely?" No. <laughs> Instead, I know. they're all sitting up there in Bondi, saying, "Oh, ha ha, rain!" No, it's good for the garden, and. Um, I don't want to be mean, but I think our farmers are a bit happier than the farmers in New South Wales and Queensland Isn't it as funny? Well. I think since the drought of the early 2000s, all of us here in Victoria, whenever it rains, we no longer get shirty about it. We're actually quite pleased. Uh, a few things to talk about, Caro, in our housekeeping. One in particular is our Christmas pod party. And I understand from people I've run into in the last week and people who have come into the bookshop that there's a bit of booking going on, which we're delighted about. The date again, everyone, is Tuesday, December the 10th. And our night kicks off at 6.30, so from 6.30 to 8.30. And it's on the rooftop at Bell's Hotel in South Melbourne. Now, if you would like to come to this wonderful event, you can email Tara, and Tara's email is events at crocmedia.com, C-R-O-C media.com, or you can phone her on double eight two five six six zero five. That, of course, is in Melbourne, and we hope that lots of people are going to come. There's drinks, there's food, there's special guests, including our favourite regulars, Anna from the Op Shop, and my mother, and Julia, with yet another Christmas tip few recipes, etc. And a couple, a couple of surprise guests, Caro. There are a very special surprise guest. And Corrie, no, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to meeting everyone who've been so wonderful. And I think you've got a bit of feedback from some of our wonderful listeners who've uh, been in touch. We have. Angelique on Instagram said, loved Barry, referring, of course, to Barry Bissell, who was our guest last week. Hope he comes back for another ep soon. Well, Angelique, I'm happy to tell you that Barry is very keen to come back. He had a lovely time with Caro and I, so that's great. Well, John. he knows where to find us now. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Took him a while with his Natsav. Lisa Match from Insta also said, listening to Barry and the gang made me doing the 1,000 steps that much easier. There was a lot of love, uh, Caro, for your Afghan biscuit recipe last week. Catherine Hewitt on Facebook, they are delicious. I always made them with wheat bix, but recently discovered the original New Zealand Edmunds flour recipe uses cornflakes. Mm, Corrie, as I, <laughs> there you go. as I told you, and the Western District ladies confirmed that as well. Nicola Roberts grew up with Afghans as well. They and, are the best. Oh, there's your phone. Um, 
somebody ringing to say sorry that about just cooked your afghans. Now, Caro, you also um, received a bouquet from my daughter Francesca, who on Cup Day hosted a few of her gang at, uh, in the Ballarat vicinity, and she cooked your chicken sandwich recipe, which we might pop up again on the Facebook. And she said, Caro, your chicken sandwiches. Love them. I didn't have enough pine nuts, so I used a combination of roasted flake almonds, pine nuts, and slivered almonds. Yep. I also used three herbs, chive, parsley, and tarragon. The tarragon is the secret. And then she also says, I will be investing in an electric knife. Never cutting them like that again. Well, that's what I said to her. That tar- the three herbs are in the original recipe, chives, parsley and tarragon. And the other secret is an electric knife because it just makes it so much quicker. I think she's just realised that. Anyway, you've they looked a winner beautiful. There. She sent me a picture. I was very impressed. Um, Kay Jones on email said, Hello, Corrie, Caro and Miss Jane. Really enjoy listening to your podcast each week. And uh, thanks must go to my daughter, says Kay, her daughter Jenny, for recommending us. That's great. And she says, I now also listen to The Art of Sanctum, despite not really being an avid footy fan at all. I particularly love the mashup episode with you and The Art of Sanctum podcasts re- recently. And then she said the main reason for the letter is that she's watching Total Control on ABC. Uh, you may be very surprised to see who plays the part of the new senator's personal assistant, Jonathan Cosgrove. It took me a minute or two to place him, as he no longer has curly hair or a Cornish accent. Oh, my, my brother picked my brother picked that in episode one when we were watching it. Is I it- haven't seen it yet because I've I've uh, recorded it. Who is Jonathan Cosgrove? He is the guy who plays um, Demelza's brother. In oh, of course. And the he's a really handsome He's one. an Australian actor and he is absolutely brilliant as Deborah Mailman's, um, well, advisor, assistant, whatever. He becomes a major part of the show. Total Control is absolutely wonderful and she's been a great actress for a long time, Deborah Mailman, but this is it's her, her real seminal role. role. Isn't she, that great? And he is absolutely brilliant. I'll give you the name of the actor in a moment. Corrie, um, while I'm looking that up, I want to ask you first how your November challenge is going. Uh, the challenge is going okay, Carrot, but it took me nearly a week to actually choose a journal. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which I know if my friend Fran Atkinson is out there listening, Fran, you'll understand that it's very important to get the right journal. What, as in the actual... The actual thing, yeah. So my journal is that I'm going to make notes during the month of November and actually try and start keeping a journal, possibly for the rest of my life. We're going to talk about diaries in a moment. We are with Helen Garner, but not with Helen Garner, but about Helen Garner's diaries. But uh, so it took me a while to find the right journal. I went to a couple of shops. It was all about the paperweight. It was all about the colour, the size. Should I get a hardback or a soft cover? And then I looked in my drawer because I'm a bit of a collector of journals and notebooks whenever I go to somewhere interesting. And I found one, a beautiful one from the National Portrait Gallery in London I'd bought a few years ago. And I just couldn't bring myself to use it. I don't know why I have all these journals I don't use. So I have started, Carol. I started making notes and um, I think it's probably going to be quite helpful. How's your challenge going? Well, mine was to go and for the first time actually go and try and see as many films as I could. Almost every film of the British Film Festival. Um, I went to the opening night and I'm going to talk about the film that I saw in a film, a a BSF section. Oh, goody. Um, Harry Richardson, by the way, is the name of the actor who plays Demelza's brother in Poldark and he also stars in Total Control. Oh, no. The, well, she said it was somebody else. Oh, is that the character name that she No, gave that's us? the name of the actor. Jonathan Cosgrove is, is the, oh, the, um, character. the name oh, of the I character. Oh, I see. Got it, got yep. it. Um, um, this, this is a big week, though. This is a big week for the... Um, 
the uh, British Film Festival, or in fact the week ahead, you and I are going to a couple of films together, including Official Secrets and Fisherman's Friends. And then I've got about four coming up the following week, including a back-to-back. I'm so excited. I'll be reporting in. The gin at the opening night party was most enjoyable. They served it with orange, not lemon. Well, they did all this sort of English stuff, and they gave us this little packet of... um, well, it's sort of caramelly, fudgy sort of stuff. Oh, Cornish fudge. It was, put it you this know, way. You know, we went to Cornwall and we none of us ate Cornish fudge. It actually wasn't Cornish and it had a crunch in it too. I don't really know what it was, but it was very nice and I ate it. And the other thing was that um, the film was a formula, formulaic film about a choir, which I'll talk about in a moment. But, oh, my heaven, we both, my friend Sal and I left, um, yep. Yeah, we were, we'd been crying our eyes out for the whole film. Another teary film. I know. I know. <laughs> Do you think it's because we're getting old that we're tearing up so? Oh no, this one was this one was a cl- oh, it, and and yeah. Look, it it was. They it, say men as they get older cry more. I wonder whether women do. Maybe we just get harder. I don't harsher, know. No, I reckon I, cr- I cry less. Rear. I cry less. No, no, I don't know. But I certainly I go to films. I've got a friend Katie who the minute if if the, she hasn't cried in the first ten minutes, then it must be the funniest comedy ever. And my sister's the same. They cry in anything, particularly where animals and children are involved. Anyway, Caro, let's move on to the big sports story of the week. Of this, of course, involves the Matildas, which is Australia's national women's soccer team, and they have scored such a victory in the pay stacks. They are to receive a pay rise in a groundbreaking equal pay deal forged over several months, I gather. This has been going on by Football Federation Australia and, of course, the players' organisation known as Professional Football Australia. The Matildas are going to receive an increased annual salary from around $66,000 a year per player to $100,000. And that's the same amount as the Socceroos, the men's team, receive. Yay! This is landmark decision. And it means that uh, under the new agreement, the Matildas will become the first country in world football to be guaranteed an equal share of commercial revenue with their male team colleagues. It It, it is a groundbreaking story. And ve- thank you very much for delivering the facts in such a um, professional manner. I think that um, the significant part of what you just said is the fact that the men have agreed to this. So they're taking a pay cut. So what they are doing is essentially funding the women. And this is the first time a sporting organisation has talked about its group as a whole. So when we talk about AFLW and all the money it's costing the AFL to fund AFLW, people ignore the fact that, no, no, this is all one organisation now. Well, so, well, as our friend Emma Race on, on um, our sister podcast says, The Outer Sanctum, she calls it AFL M sometimes, which I think is probably quite appropriate. We yes. should start doing that. Or occasionally AFLY, as we said, <laughs> after AFLX. Anyway, um, Greg Baum used that line. I thought it was quite a good one, the sports writer from The Age. But, I mean, the fact that the men have agreed to to agree to parity with the women is is the groundbreaking part of this deal. And when you look at it, Corrie, essentially, I mean, our, our Matildas are far more successful internationally than the Socceroos. They are a very successful international sporting team. And you might say there's less competition. I don't buy that. The Matildas are just a phenomenon. Sam Kerr is Australia's best soccer player, bar none, man or woman, and has been for the last couple of years. And it makes complete sense to me. But what soccer has done, and cricket are going down this road as well, in terms of a lot of what they're doing with broadcasting, the deals they make with broadcasters, 
They, they are seriously on the right side of history in these moves. And despite the fact that, you know, I listened to Talkback Radio after the last few days on every station that I listen to, and there's a lot of, well, why do women, you know, not hit off the same tees as men? And why do they only play three sets of tennis and still get the same money? That is not the point. In its essence, at its top level in tennis, women play three sets at all the Grand Slams. In men, they play five. It doesn't mean that it's not as good a competition. And the time, even if you're selling ads, doesn't necessarily correlate. And this is going to, this is where we're going with the AFL. And this is what most senior execs you talk to know. They know that at some point we're going to hit that crunch moment when the players, the male players, are going to have to agree to give up money to fund the women. And they are going to have to understand that culturally, socially, economically, it's going to work for the industry as a whole, even if it might be hitting them in their hip hip pocket in the short term, which is why, and we've talked about this, why the AFLW players want at least one more, potentially two more seats on the Players Association board. At the moment, they've only got one, which is why they feel a bit let down by their Players Association. So this is a looming battle. Clearly, they're not like the Matildas in terms of international success or even national success anywhere near their male counterparts. I just think this is such a big story and it's I'm so proud that it was Australia who did it. And I thought David Gallup spoke really well when he announced it the other day well, too. He, well, he did. The way and he I justified get, it. And I gather David Gallup being the Football Federation chief exec and he also pointed out that <laughs> FIFA now has to come on board. So that's the international soccer organisation that they actually have to address huge pay discrepancies between men and women. Women players. So we have led the way. I was very pleased to see, Caro, that an old tennis champ who I loved back in the day, Billie Jean King, tweeted almost as soon as the news came out. And she said, Australia's women's and men's national soccer teams will earn the same pay as part of a history-making new pay structure. And all commercial revenues associated with both teams will be split evenly. Hashtag equal pay is possible. Looking forward to following this story. So are we, Billie Jean. Very quickly, while we're on the subject of Australia's women tennis stars, and I'm, this is a question without notice, but so Margaret Court is saying she wants to sit down with Tennis Australia and talk to them because she wants to be celebrated in the way Rod Laver was when his milestones were celebrated. She's won, <clears throat> excuse me, something like 51 Grand Slams. Do you think this is because it is, is the anti-Margaret... <coughs> Uh, still Margaret Court's a leftover thing from her role on in the gay marriage debate. Oh, completely. And her comments about people burning in hell. I mean, she came across as a religious nutter. And you might ask, well, what does Rod Laver think about marriage equality? But he's never said anything. He's never taken a stand on it the way she has. So... Do you think she deserves to be celebrated in the way Rod Laver was? Gee, it's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because there's one part of me that says we should be celebrating people's achievement and looking at that and just judging them on that. But we don't, do we? We have to take it. It's like, for example, you and I often talk about each year with the AFL media, the AFL Hall of Fame. And who should be involved and invited, and who shouldn't be? Yep, Australian and, Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, yep. yeah, and so and sometimes sometimes there is a player who has uh, gone on the wrong side of the law, or or has had something in his personal life that has impacted negatively on how he's perceived. And we often wonder: should they be let into the Hall of Fame? Really look at their look at how many premierships or Brownlows they've won, or that sort of thing. 
And I think you actually have to look at the personal. I, do, I really do. Well, that completely. I think Margaret, Margaret Court offended so many Australians. Not not just not just gay Australia either. A lot of us were deeply offended by her comments a couple of years ago. And and I think with the Hall of Fame, I mean, it does character does come into discussion. And I was on the selection committee for fifteen years. It always came into it. We had huge arguments about Gary Ablett Senior, for example. But in terms of Margaret Court, I think. What puts me off her is that she sort of used her fame and her platform, whether she did it knowingly and... Um, and Do you mean of, to espouse her religious yes. conservative views? <clears throat> exactly, exactly. Anyway, that was just a question without yes, notice. Yes, interesting. Um, Caro, I wanted to talk about something that that uh, is a little bit close to home, but I don't want it to sound like Corey's banging on yet again about what's happening in retail. There were figures released uh, last week about Bang away, Corrie. Bang away. <laughs> about a recession in the retail sector and why people are not shopping. Australians are not shopping at the moment. And it's really interesting over the years as a journalist, and I'm sure you faced with this too, you get these buzz phrases and that you have sometimes have to unpack. And one of them being consumer confidence. I never really knew what that meant until I became a shopkeeper. And you can literally feel it. I know that sounds crazy, but you can feel it when somebody is making a decision at the counter, in my case, whether to buy three books or one. And when they're buoyant, it seems to affect everyone, especially a sunny day, for example. So people come in and they're, and they're inspired by other people loading up at the counter with six books or whatever. And then if it's a flat day, there's nothing worse. The figures have come out saying that we are actually in a retail recession. Australians are buying everyday goods at the slowest rate since the 1991 recession, which is really scary. And it seems that the recent interest rate reductions of the Morrison government and the Morrison government's tax cuts have failed to encourage shoppers to open their wallets. And of course, the tax cuts that were announced in the April budget by Josh Frydenberg when they said they would um, lift household incomes and boost spending at local businesses. It has not happened. So it made me uh, think about the Christmas trading. And Miss Jane and I were talking about this uh, off air earlier. How is it going to impact on your Christmas shopping, the current mood at the moment? Not at all to some extent. And and is the whole kind of echo change that's occurring with us all thinking more about, I mean, Jane, you mentioned Maria Kondo, didn't you? Marie Kondo, the, well, what was her book again? Uh, what was her? Decluttering. <laughs> the whole phase of decluttering, not buying so much, thinking about what you buy, buying quality over quantity. Recycling, going to minimalism. Yeah. It, it was all about min- minimalism. Yeah. So and is, is this all affecting how we're yes, spending? Yes. So what's is. happening for you with Christmas? Well, it's funny you should say that, but <clears throat> and I and I had a look at um, you putting this on the rundown. I yesterday for the first time thought I have not even thought about Christmas shopping, and we're already in November. I've not even thought about it, and this is the first time I think in a long time. Now maybe that's got something to do with the age of my children, which the way, way Christmas is shaping up this year with the way our family is. But why is it like that? I, I think differently about. Um, the presents we're going to give. My eldest daughter, Rose, isn't going to be here for Christmas and I know she would really love to go on a long walk, on a hike with me while in the short time that she's here and that that would be a better present for her than anything else I could give her. My kids are at the age when they always receive, they always appreciate a bit of cash, more more than presents probably, if if the truth be told. And I've just thought completely differently about it. And, you know, I always buy every one of my kids a book as part of their Christmas stocking because I still do stockings as a bit of a fun little mm, I do family too. I do tradition. Pillow slips, yeah. 
But um, no, I, I've, I haven't thought about it, and I don't know whether whether shopping is just not something I do as often anymore. And I'm sure um, there'll be people in my family very happy to hear me say, say that. <laughs> but um, no, I, I look. Yes, it, not it's to true. mention your girlfriends who had to it's go in and true. out of various gift shops in Cornwall with you. You know, oh, as you bought yet another. You didn't do too badly. No. I do remember you in that lovely shop in uh, not Foy. Where were we? Saying white linen. Yeah, well, you said you were going to put this stuff away for Christmas to give to whoever, and I wondered whether the present drawer was still overflowing or well, whether the so-called Christmas gifts were. No, there's the, the present drawer is still looking fairly well stocked, actually. Maybe that's why I haven't thought about it as well. But do you, I mean, do you notice less people, you notice less people in yeah, the village f- where you were? Yeah, our figures are down and everybody, all my friends who own shops in our particular village are saying, uh, yeah, figures are down this year on last year. Um, you know, not al- not. Oh, I shouldn't say not alarmingly because it, it's always alarming, but not to the point where people are thinking, "Oh my God, closure." People are thinking of it as a cyclical thing because recessions and 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 financial downturns, economic downturns, they do like over two thousand years, they do come back again. Like it will come back again. But what is more interesting is people's attitude towards stuff. And do I have too much stuff? And Francesca, for example, said with me, with the grandchildren and the pillow slips and everything, mum, no toys, like they've just got so much stuff, which I can remember saying to my mother back in the day. But it does make you think about, so what are we giving? Thankfully, a lot of people think books are important because, as Jane said earlier, with a book, you can pass it on to friends. You can keep it forever in your bookshelf. It's something that's a bit more long-lasting about a book. But I just, I don't know what's happening out there. People are not spending. And, and I, yes, look, there are a whole lot of Corrie, reasons. They are spending on food. You go, the, the, the restaurants get written up, you know, and particularly in Melbourne when we're in sort of the food capital of Australia. The good, smart restaurants are always booked out. The new restaurants are always booked out. You've got to book weeks ahead to get into the newest place in Fitzroy or Collingwood. Or, so people are going for the experience yep, rather than stuff. I think Interesting. so. So I just want to remind Did Ditto, ditto with smart hotels and boutique hotels around the country. I think people are travelling and eating, but they're not buying things. Well, I just want to tell people for Christmas, just keep this in mind. Firstly, shopping local is just so vital to our whole economic uh, ecology, not just people like me who have a, a little shop. Or who people re- like me who have panic attacks when we walk into Chadston. <laughs> so the retails, I do have panic attacks when I go to, and also my contact lenses fog up in Chadston so I can never see where I'm going, which adds to the angst. The retail sector employs people. Can we just remember this? All of the little shops that you know in your local village, we all employ people full or part-time. And retailers like us also purchase local goods from local manufacturers, other small businesses businesses, local artists, designers. Uh, I mean, just in our shop alone, apart from the books, how many card companies am I, you know, paying monthly bills to? So I don't know what's happening out there, but I just hope people do grab this consumer confidence thing, whatever it may be, and run all the way to Christmas with it, because it would just make us all so much happier. Now, I feel a bit like um, that's a, a grumpy section for me, but it's not. Um, but you have a crush, Caro, so who is your crush? Well, don't get cross. It is another sports person, but you're going to agree, and it's pretty obvious. But if Ash Barty isn't the most loved sports person in the country at the moment, who is? Here, she, here. She, she's won a Grand Slam. Yes, She's such a great ambassador, isn't she? The fact that she's a Tiger supporter has got nothing to do with it, but she would have enjoyed Grand Final Day. She's now come to help us win our first Fed Cup 
um, I think since 1974. And we're looking back, Corrie, at names like, you know, Yvonne Goolagong, obviously Margaret Court, Di Fromholtz or Di Balistrat, I think her other name was, who for years Australia would win the Fed Cup. I don't think Margaret Court... In fact, I don't think Yvonne Goolagong or Margaret Court lost Fed Cup games for periods of sort of eight or ten years. Um, we last won it, as I said, in 1974. Um, I love the fact that Yvonne Goolagong has got a link with Ash Barty and mentors her, and they're both very proud of their Indigenous heritage. I love the fact that she is such a fabulous sport, that she is not an individual, despite the fact that all her wins have been because of her individual brilliance. She's just, you know, landed the biggest check of her career with that, of of her career, you know, this year, I mean, in terms of her overall earnings by winning that WTA tournament, which, you know, it was great she ended the year on a high because she had a couple of disappointing Grand Slams after winning the French Whenever she wins, she thanks her team. She talks about... And she says we. Yep, she always talks about herself as part of a team. So refreshing. But, I mean, there are a lot of um, similarities. I mean, I think Yvonne Goolagong was number one when they last um, won in 1974, even though official rankings, I don't think it started then. But she was the unofficial number one. She just had a big win. Um, We've got Sam Stoza. We've got Ash Barty. We've got this all-round sort of team that like the one we had in 1974 with names like Ballastrat and Goolagong. So um, go Aussie girls in the Fed Cup and go Ash Barty. Here's my crush of the week. Well, Caro, just on Yvonne Goolagong, I'm just holding this up so you and Jane can see. You might not know this this series. Jane probably does because she has Huey, who is a little one at school. But there's this wonderful book series called Little People, Big Dreams, and they're illustrated non-fiction biographies for children on a whole variety of characters, from Ruth Parks to Audrey Hepburn to Frida Kahlo to Amelia Earhart to David Bowie, whoever, whoever. And I was told this week that they are going to do Yvonne Goolagong. She's going to be the first Australian. Isn't that exciting? That is. So when's it coming out? We don't know yet. No no details, but I will let you know about that, which is a lovely segue to books. One more thing about Ash Barty. Sorry, just want to end. She's 23. She's only 23. We've got years of enjoying this wonderful girl and her wonderful sportsmanship and her great tennis. Yeah, I agree. Okay, on to books. So we mentioned earlier we were going to talk about diaries and we're going to talk about Helen Garner. Yellow Notebook, Diaries, Volume 1, 1978 to 1987. I love the cover of this book, don't you? It's stunning. Great picture of Helen. Helen Garner has for years kept a diary. And at different times through her life, she's grabbed a whole lot of them and thrown them in the incinerator and lit the match. I couldn't believe it when she admitted that, but she said she felt embarrassed. They were so putrid and so boring and so self-obsessed. Thankfully for the readers of Australia and Helen Garner fans like you and I, Caro, she has uh, managed to cobble a few in a box and keep them and uh, now put them together in some sort of format that actually reads really well. This arrived in the shop yesterday. I took it home last night. I could not put it down. I haven't finished them, but it's so accessible, little bits and pieces. But it not only tracks her writing career, and this book starts, of course, with uh, the arrival on the publishing scene of Helen of um, Monkey Grip, which was her big breakthrough in terms of her fiction writing. Which he sort of admits is not really fiction at all, doesn't he? <laughs> well, that's right, loosely based on her, as is as are a lot of her novels, actually. Do you remember that one that we, we read... Um, did we do it for book club? I'm not sure, but it remains one of my favourites, The Spare Room. 
I've, about the friend who comes down from the country to have yeah, cancer treatment we, and stays we with Helen Garner. I we certainly talked about it. Did you? Uh, it looks so depressing to me. I just couldn't even. No, face it's it. it's actually not. It's a story about friendships and the complexities of it, and and actually having people in your personal space. It's a really good book club book. It. it, it I must have done it with somebody else. Mm. I don't know. We who. certainly talked about it. Yeah, it's a really great book. Anyway. Garner, uh, there's a terrific interview which you can read online if you didn't see it in the Weekend Australian that's just been. And in that terrific interview, she says that she's been keeping a diary since her mid-teenage years and she is the oldest of six children, grew up in Geelong. Was this what inspired you? Went to Melbourne Uni. What do you mean? Reading about Helen Garner keeping a diary all those years. Is that one of the reasons you you got inspired to keep a journal? No, I'm losing my brain. That's what inspired me. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, every, 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 every eve of the podcast, when I sit down to write you a note about what are all those funny things that happened this week, I can't think of one. So, no, Helen Garner did not. As, no, I don't see myself as Helen Garner. Anyway, she said, as you pointed out, she said in this, um, she, she had one of her big burnings in the 1960s, and she said, when I left home, I burned a lot of stuff. There were the days when you could have an incinerator in the backyard. Of course, I remember those days too, Helen. I was just out there putting stuff into this incinerator and mum saying, oh, let me just see one page. Show me a page. And Helen said, obviously, there must be stuff in there that I didn't want my parents to read, which is why I burnt the lot. So uh, the reporter asks her in this interview, what is the point of the diary? Or she asks herself and she says, there is always something deeper that I don't write, even when I think I'm saying everything, referring to her books, of course. <laughs> Why do we love Helen Garner, Caro? She's a woman of our time, isn't she? She's in her 70s now. A lot of people find her formidable. People who have met her say they're terrified of her. I was always a bit nervous of her, even though I only knew her from afar until recently. I knew her when Michael Davey, the then editor of The Age, brought her in to write some non-fiction pieces in the early 80s. And I remember her walking across the editorial floor of The Age in Spencer Street. And it was the whisper of, there's Helen Garner. We're all so in awe. But then I interviewed her on John Fain's Conversation Hour a couple of years ago on ABC Radio, and she was just delightful. He's, um, he, you're right. He, there's something, he's a national treasure and we've watched her, we've sort of watched her grow up from monkey grip, you know, which of course became that iconic, and that's an overused word I know, but that was an iconic movie with Noni Hazelhurst, absolutely, and Colin Frills, brilliant film, and her own daughter, Alice Garner, who went on to be, you know, one of the main characters in Sea Change, playing her, the Helen Garner character daughter in the movie. It was a brilliant novel. It just was a novel of 70s Melbourne, Carlton, the pool, you know. The, and, and, and drug abuse. All, all of that. And, um, but, I mean, then we've watched her become a brilliant journalist and those brilliant true crime sort of books he wrote and the terror, that wonderful long-form piece of journalism about Daniel Valerio, you know, the mm. little boy who was murdered in um, Bayside, um, out, out of Bayside, Melbourne. I think. What, what's your favourite of all of them? I think um, this House of Grief. I would have to say, which is the non-fiction work of about three years ago, and another that was, one I couldn't face. Yeah, it was just. It was absolutely stunning. So she followed the court case and did the backstory of the Farquharson case. The father who drove. Well, uh, well, it was alleged, and now it's he's in prison for it. Drove the car with his three sons into a dam just out of Geelong, and the three boys drowned. The father made it to the shore raised the alarm uh, and it was found later to be guilty of murder. And she follows both families. She follows the husband, she follows the ex-wife's family. It's a 
It's a shatteringly brilliant book. A lot of people who come into the shop say, oh, I couldn't read that, I couldn't read that. And I understand the sensitivities around this, but the way she constructs it and the way she brings herself into it, her suffering as she's listening to this trial. She talks about going home one night from the Supreme Court and curling up in a fetal position in her bed and not being able to move for a couple of hours. I know that feeling and so do you because you and I have covered in the past tragic, terrible stories, the physical effect that covering something like that has and she brings herself to the fore. That pisses a lot of people off. They don't like to hear the Helen voice in her writing. I love it. Well, there's a bit of Dominic Dunn, isn't there, even though they're completely different people and journalists, but that idea of um, going and covering a case and turning it into a book, almost like a novel. I thought Jo Chinque's Consolation was one of the best books. She's yeah, another non One of the best Australian yeah. books I've ever read and just a fascinating, horrific story. And obviously The First Stone and obviously Monkey Grip, they'd probably be my top three. Don't mention The First Don't Stone. Don't mention The First Stone. <laughs> So you you enjoying it? You enjoying um, yeah, I am. So Helen Garner, Yellow Notebook, Diaries, Volume 1, 1978 to 1987. There will, of course, be another uh, edition of this to come. Uh, I'm not sure when, but this one's just out. It's a beautiful hardcover published by Checks, twenty nine ninety nine, and in a good bookstore near you. Now, so it's, Carol, it's you... a brilliant literary form. What's, yeah. what's your favourite? Have you had any other favourite diaries? Oh, Chips Channon, I love. That, that, that which my, mother's, <laughs> my mother would say that too. I love Chips Channon. What about you? Well, it's the, the two of the seminal books of my teenage years were the Diary of Anne Frank. I mean, uh, oh yes, of course. I mean, that is just one of the most brilliant, tragic, amazing stories, and what it what it meant to the world, and the story it told and revealed. And uh, for so many of us, it was oh, the first entree into the Holocaust, wasn't it? It was, and um, that and in the Laurence Olivier narrated series, The World at War. Do you remember that? Yes, back I in do. the seventies, another brilliant show. Oh. So that went, and then it sounds ridiculous, but there was another book that was around, that I read around the same time called Go Ask Alice. Did you read mm, that? Yes, I did. Yes. Everybody read Go Ask Alice when they were about twelve or thirteen. It's the most tragic story about drug addiction of a a girl growing up in America who I think who died at fifteen became addicted to heroin, and all about her insecurities and her family, and it sort of really humanised. I suppose, that sort of rather terrifying sort of evil thing that, you know, when we were 11 or 12, we learned about, which was, you know, addiction to, I suppose, what were they, social drugs, illicit drugs. Well, we were growing up in that period. Oh, that book really in the, in affected the 1970s, me. heroin was everywhere and it was claiming so many heroes of society we from... Were- you know, whoever it might be, Jimi Hendrix, right through. And of course, um, it, it is such a great form of fiction that even fictional diaries like Bridget Jones, I just absolutely love. And that became a worldwide hit as well. And that was a newspaper column, wasn't it? Yeah. Originally. Yeah, it was indeed. But you want me to talk about films? I do, please. Now, the film that I saw that opened the British Film Festival is called Military Wives. It stars one of our favourites, Corrie, Kristen Scott Thomas. It also stars Sharon Horgan, who's not that well known to me. She's in an HBO series called Divorce. She's an Irish actress. They are the two pivotal characters in this movie, based on a true story. We're at a military base somewhere in England, not too far from London, I guess. And it's basically about the wives who are left behind when the husbands go off to Afghanistan. It's it's a you know, it's one of the modern wars, which I didn't know. I didn't know anything about this film. There's a lot of women girlfriends, kids who were just left at this base, which is a pretty grim sort of place. And Sharon Horgan's character runs a local store. Her husband's gone off. She's got a problematic teenage daughter. 
Kristen Scott Thomas's husband goes off as well. She's older. He doesn't need to go, but he does go. You learn very early in the movie that they have lost their son, their son who was in his early 20s, who was also a soldier. They form a choir. I mean, I know we've seen a lot of these films. <laughs> And I know that we'll probably see many more. You buried the lead there. I was with you until that point. It's certainly a cliched film, but the performances save it. And the fact that they chose it to open the film festival tells you a bit. And at the end, it sort of tells you about the fact that these choirs became a massive thing all around the UK. No, I'm not diminishing. Around military bases around the UK. Before all the choiristers contact me, can I just say I'm a huge fan of choirs and I used to be in a couple, so I do do get it. It's very funny. It's very Just tell me they keep their clothes on. They do. Um, It was a very, very enjoyable movie. I was surprised they chose it to open the film festival, but me and my friend Sal walked out and just... Both said, well, that was a really enjoyable experience. Sounds great. So what was it called again? Military Wives. And that will come to general release, I imagine. Like I'm sure it will. Later in the year. I mean, Kristen Scott Thomas, you know, she's yeah. just she, some... Isn't she fine? Um, <laughs> Carrie, you've got a recipe? I have a recipe, Corrie, and a good local tip, all in one. Caesar salad. That is hilarious. I cooked it last night for dinner. That well, is hilarious. Did you do the, the original sort of Paul Lynch... You know, oh, the, amazing the dressing. Salad Lyonnaise. Yes. Do you know I have that recipe? I didn't, but I have that recipe at home because I once did an interview in the 80s with Paul Lynch and I had that over lunch. I had that salad Lyonnaise. Corey, I know and, this because you've given me, and, you've made it for and me. And you've the given chef, me the Dominique, recipe. whatever his name was, Dominique, oh, come to me in a minute. He came out and gave me the recipe. It's the best, isn't it's it? It's the best recipe. In fact, I might do that recipe. But it wasn't in a cookbook I had on hand over the weekend. The reason this is a great meal is that it can be a meal in itself. It can be a meal with a barbecue and you don't need to do potatoes. Because or, put your, or put your protein in. No, It's got everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I, don't, I don't subscribe to the chicken Caesar. And, oh, I um, do see it. We had chicken Caesar last oh, night. Oh, Anyway. Well, that's all right. It's, it's a good, it's a dinner. It's a dinner ditch because you have your protein. But I text my cousin Wayne because she... You know, whenever you're away on holidays and you want a simple meal, she always says, I'll bring a Caesar salad, and it's always amazing. Well, I don't think she'll mind me saying that she just – she said to me, look, it's a distant – you know, this is for off the top of my head – cos, eggs, bacon, parmesan cheese, croutons, and Cardini's Caesar salad dressing Oh, from the supermarket. I was shocked. I was shocked that she had – because it's always been the most amazing sort of meal that she's done – but these are just a few local tips. Go to your supermarket and buy the Cardini's Caesar dressing, but chuck in a few mashed anchovies and a bit more lemon juice and a little bit of olive oil. So it's not as thick because it's a bit thick, but it is absolutely beautiful apart from that. Fresh parmesan is so much better. But if you've only got the you know supermarket parmesan, that's absolutely fine. And I reckon... Um, Prosciutto is nice. And tell than bacon. me, how long do you do your eggs for? That's the big thing in a Caesar salad. I'm not a it's fan a of fine line between good and bad. I'm not a fan of the soft boiled egg in a Caesar salad. So I put my eggs in cold water. From the minute the water starts boiling, I leave them for another six minutes, and then I sit them in cold water for another ten, fifteen minutes, so they're completely cold. And that's they're, they're not too hard boiled, but they're virtually hard boiled. I bake my um, prosciutto in the oven. You can do that the day before, and I don't. I'm not a fan of the packet croutons. I think you've got to buy sourdough bread. 
Toast them up, up in your own olive oil. Yeah, and just use spray oil. I know you, you're not a spray oil person, but it is so much better because you don't have to brush them. You just spray does, it does over. Does Mr. Cobram have spray oil? Of course he does. Of he course everything. he does. You spray the oil over it and you bake them in the oven and you can put that in a cake tin in baking paper and you can leave that for a day as well. So you can do the prosciutto or the bacon the day before and you can do the croutons and then, of course, you just have to have cos lettuce. It is the easiest, most beautiful recipe Oh, that sounds good. Just speaking of Cardini's Mr. Cardini's Co- salad dressing. Just speaking of Mr. Cobram, I was just thinking that it would be lovely, given how often we mention him in our cooking, if he gave us a little hamper to give away as a door prize at our Christmas party. That we might be nice. Well, we haven't heard from him for a while, so it would be nice just to hear from him. Do you think we offended him? <laughs> I don't know how. We rave about him every week. Caro, I was going to be grumpy about Kevin Rudd, but I think you're grumpier about something else. Well... You did mention this earlier and um, you sparked a nerve with me because I've been grumpy about this for the last two days. The Sydney media and their bagging of the Melbourne Cup. Now, this has got nothing to do with that dreadful 7.30 report story. This has got nothing to do with whips. This has got nothing to do with that accident on Melbourne Cup Day that luckily the horse, you know, survived. But why... This is one-upmanship of the highest order. This is taking me back to the days of, you know, the Sheffield Shield back in the 70s. This is going back to sort of, you know, who's, you know, them sort of bagging Ron Barassi. I I do not understand why Sydney Journal, there's been articles in both the Murdoch Press and the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, well, Sydney Morning Herald, obviously, um, Fairfax Stroke Channel 9 Media. It is just unbelievable the way they're bagging the Melbourne Cup. Yes, crowds are down. This is because of weather and this is clearly because of the um, stand people are taking on behalf of animal cruelty. And I am all for that. I think animal activists can be very scary people. They are the most highly organised activists in the world. They are unbelievably organised. But this is a this is a cause that we all need to think about and do something about. And I'm glad the VRC Racing Victoria is doing something. Do you know, I've, I, uh, I've quietly banned the horse racing from home this year. I have not watched one, except I did turn on to watch the Cup. I have not watched one race which for a girl who's had an active TAB account for the last 15 years is pretty amazing. Uh, that, that I just is a, couldn't. After that no, report, I, I couldn't. I well, just couldn't. Well, I, I've, I know how you feel, and I think and th- that is a separate issue to my grumpiness. I just think the snarly, smarny, horrible sort of, you know, quite separately to what's going on with horses, the way the, um, first of all, Sydney has taken on Derby Day, taken on Caulfield Cup Day with, with the Everest and the Golden Eagle is, I think it's disappointing. I think we could stretch the carnival out a lot further. They don't have to have events on the same day, but I do not understand why they have been so negative and nasty about the Melbourne Cup. It's because we do it so damn well. And for years and years, flocks of Sydney people have jumped on aeroplanes and come down to Melbourne to it's join huge. in. And I don't know why now suddenly this whole competitive thing has, has hit. All I can say is to quote Michelle Obama, when they go low, Caro, we go higher. <laughs> well, it's just interesting. I mean, the, the crowds are obviously... the. Crowds have been terrible, and I understand that. I understand why people have been so horrified by what's happened in racing, and I hope that Racing Victoria and the entities around the country continue to show leadership. But the Sydney um, nastiness has not been appreciated, so I'm grumpy about that. And now you're going to ask me a question about the Melbourne Cup. Oh, aren't you asking me one? Okay, I'll ask you one. 
this year's Melbourne Cup. <laughs> well, we've sort of done that. We, we, were you less interested or just as interested in proceedings as previous years? It sounds like less interested. Less interested. Corrie, do you read Star Science? Yes, I do. Susan Miller, astrologyzone.com. Now, I know it's Northern Hemisphere. I know it shouldn't apply to down here because the sky's upside down. Well, you actually go right. online to read your star signs. Correct. Are you joking? Not every day. She does a monthly one. Yep. Love and, them. And if they're in the paper or if I'm at the hairdresser and there's one of the women's magazines, I always go straight to the star signs. I used to. I reckon I stopped doing that 30 years ago. Do you oh. act accordingly? Do you act accordingly to what they know. say? I don't know. I'm not like Diane, a princess of Wales, who used to change her, completely change her diary if it was, she became quite obsessed toward the end there. No, I don't do that. But so if they say this is a month to be um, more frugal or this is a month to be kinder to no, people. My friend, my friend Susan Miller, she'll, she'll give you a <laughs> monthly projection, which is often you can take some lessons from it. So, for example, for people who are Aries like me, the month of October toward the back end of October was not a great month financially. So when you read that at the start of October, you can think, well, maybe there are going to be some gremlins in the mix. Sure enough. I mean, I rest my case. I think we <laughs> need to have a serious talk. <laughs> I'm very concerned. <laughs> oh, I dear. we were having a serious oh, talk. No I, no, I think we need a serious off-air talk about your following the horoscope. Anyway, go ahead. And I'm journaling as well. Mm, I'll be coming in a caftan soon. Um, are you an off-the-shoulder girl? Gosh, there was a lot of that. I did see a few newspapers over the weekend. I thought Francesca looked fabulous on Melbourne Cup Day. My daughter. <laughs> Corrie. No offence to Chica. There's only one Making Francesca on sandwich. Melbourne Cup Day. She looked absolutely sensational in the yellow. There was so much yellow. Yellow see, was the colour. I didn't see. I only just watched I cannot, the race. I didn't, you didn't see any You didn't turn fashion. on the TV to see. I mean, no, I did. It's so unlike me. I know. Isn't that amazing, Carol? I did not watch. You know me with Derby Day. I love sitting there watching all the fashions. I did not turn the television on. But at about five to three, I was at home working. I just closed the shop. And I thought, oh, God, this will be the first year kind of ever that I haven't watched the Melbourne Cup. So I did turn it on. And Look, then got on the phone account and put $10 each way on the Godolphin horse for Mr. Will. But apart from that, I did not entertain. Well, so your ban was sort of not quite a complete ban. <laughs> well, supporting family as well. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I admit that I'm shallow and I would turn on any event just to see what Francesca Kamani is wearing. She is just one of the what most What about all the other women? With, she has great shoulders. What about all the other women who shouldn't have been I, going off the shoulder? I am an off-the-shoulder fan. We had this, I had this argument with my friend Mary. We watched the cup together. She said, I just don't like off-the-shoulder. My daughter Rose rocks the off-the-shoulder. She's always doing off-the-shoulder. She has beautiful, thin, sculptured shoulders. I'm, I'm not saying anyone can do it, but that's like saying not everyone can do shoestring straps or not everyone can do strapless. As a fashion, I think it looks pretty good. And yellow was everywhere. Nadia Bartel was in yellow. Francesca was in yellow. There was so much yellow. And Francesca, with an off-the-shoulder, long-sleeved yellow dress, Corrie, looked, and her hair piece was just beautiful. Jane's curling up, turning up her nose here. Why are you turning up your nose? I did not like Nadia's flared yellow you? I didn't oh, see that. I don't. Sorry. Was it nice? No. It's very Brady like Bunch. It. Most of the most famous people, though, funnily, Jennifer Hawkins was in yellow as well, wasn't she? 
She I looked think. all right. She looked oh, when doesn't she look all right? She I thought, every, I thought everybody was predicting pink would be the colour of the carnival. Yellow, yellow, yellow. It's and so I mean, odd you doing the fashion report. I'm not in a comfortable zone but here. But the yellow is, you know, you wear a yellow this rose, Cory. Don't you on Melbourne Cup Day? That's so, you know, they followed the thing. She looked absolutely beautiful, Francesca. Okay. So, yes, I support off the shoulders. Cory. What is your latest Netflix binge? Ah, oh, I've moved and make on. Make sure it's Netflix, Corey. It is Netflix. Um, yes, it is. I'm just looking, <laughs> just double checking now you said that. It's called Hinterland and it's set in Wales and it's a murder. Have you not seen it? No. <gasps> so, Carol, our next walk, really. Oh, we're moving to Wales now. <laughs> I really, really am so enthralled. I've been to Wales before, but only a direct route to the sea. This, uh, well, this actually does take place in a seaside town, but a lot of the murders and everything are in the hinterland, as it's described. Uh, this is a brilliant series with actors who you probably will not know all that well, but it is essentially the uh, complicated, complex London detective who has moved to Wales. Backstory to come, I feel certain, because there are a few teary moments quietly in his caravan that's on the sort of moors somewhere. Is it and, in Abergavenny? I just like saying Abergavenny. Uh, it's in uh, it's in Abbas. It's in mainly filmed in Abbaswith. Yes. Uh, Welsh listeners, please uh, correct me on my pronunciation, which looks like an old Victorian seaside town. Lots of tall Victorian buildings, not dissimilar to the ones we know in Melbourne. And the police station is in one of these buildings, and quite a lot happens on the foreshore, which is very windy and seemingly very cold. Lots of sheep with black faces, uh, <laughs> lots of fog and mist, and I love it. It's Belt of sli- Galloways? I haven't seen a Belt of Galloway yet, but I'm sure one will turn up. Tom Mathias, Detective Chief Inspector Tom Mathias, who has come down from London. Richard Harrington is the actor. Detective Inspector Mared Reese is played by Marley Harries, and she is the offsider, so she is... She is kind of like the two I see. There's something, I think, going to happen among between those two, although it could be like a bit like the broad church relationship. It could be more friend and support, supportive base. I'm not sure. But it's a great show. I am hooked. The scenery is magnificent. It's a bit like Vera. Each show is an individual crime, but obviously the backstory of Tom and all of that sort of thing is an ongoing thing. So start series one, Hinterland, Netflix, can't recommend it more highly. I'm hooked. If you love Shetland, you will adore this. Speaking of great series that we know and love, there's another one that's just started on SBS the other night, which we love, which How is good em- was Emma it? Thompson. Years and years. Potties, get on board. It's brilliant. Yep. Brilliant. So thinking of Emma Thompson, what's your favourite Emma Thompson role? Well, she's got another big one coming out too this week, um, Last Christmas which is a you know one of those christmas movies about a troubled a troubled girl and she plays her eastern european mother so oh i've seen the ads for that emma's it it's based on it's, it's all the old george michael back catalog it looks absolutely well it looks like a good feel good one for you and me Corrie. but i think i'd have to say sense and sensibility i love that film. too we saw that together yeah, i think Wasn't she was that? brilliant in yeah. that um, so, yeah, that, that would be my favourite, I reckon, Sense and Sensibility, although she and Kenneth Branagh, when they were really young, and some of the stuff they did together was mm. brilliant. Now, you have a GLT. I do. If you suffer from hay fever. and this Yes, tip, I've got a lot of them in my house. Okay, so this tip came to me. I can't remember whether it was a customer, whether it was a relative. I have no idea. So whoever you are, claim, claim the space. If you buy honey from the area near where you live, you will, by eating the honey 
become somewhat immune to the pollen in your area. Really? Really. You know me, particularly in autumn when the autumn leaves fall and there's all the dust from the plane trees, I go, I go psycho. And, and also at this time of year as well, I can't stand it. When I received this tip back in autumn, I went to the local market where they have an egg and honey stall with lots of different honeys. And I spoke to the chap and said, look, I'm, I'm after a honey that's locally made. He, he had a honey from one of the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. I swear to God, a couple of teaspoons a day, almost overnight, Carol, and touch wood, have not had a coughing attack in the last three weeks. That's amazing. How is that? Now, doctors amazing. listening will probably be poo-pooing this and going, oh, you've got no idea. And maybe even beekeepers will be too, I don't know. But all I can say is it's worked for me, so give it a whirl. Reminds me of that um, health retreat I went to once, and they told you if you stand under the tree and eat, swallow the seed from the tree, is something about planting it. You eat it on the spot where the tree is planted, and you are sort of... <laughs> Self-pollinating, I can't. I've and you're having, a cra- you're having a crack at me for reading Susan no. Miller's astrology well, no, guide. I just got told this. I, I didn't think we need to have a serious it. conversation off air, Carol. I didn't believe. Didn't believe. Do you, you stand under that tree at five no. a.m. in the nude as the no, sun comes it, up? It, no, it's just like <laughs> if you if you're under an apple tree. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you. Cotties, if you would like to join Caroline Wilson <laughs> in her nude collecting of no, no, there's no nudity involved, Carol. It's been great, and I am going to. <laughs> I am going to. I'm following you, honey. Tip, though. I'm going. Great. I'm going to promote the Christmas pod party again. Tickets are eighty dollars. It's on Tuesday, December the tenth, between six thirty and eight thirty at Bells in South Melbourne. If you would like to attend, contact the lovely Tara at events at crockmedia.com. Events at crockmedia.com, or give her a call double eight two five six six zero five to secure your tickets. Details about all this, of course, and all our stuff that we've been rabbiting on about, including Caro's. Um, recipes and her <laughs> seed analysis um, via our Facebook page. You can see all of this. Corrie's horoscope. <laughs> <laughs> right back at you. Astrologyzone.com, Caro. Um, we love having your company, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We love your feedback, of course, comments, tips, suggestions. We appreciate every time you contact us. Just put it on the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page or you can put it on our Instagram account, which is Don't Shoot Pod. Or t- and we, of course, tweet as well. And do email us if that's your preferred <coughs> method of correspondence. Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Sounds like you need some ha- <coughs> hurry. Isn't it funny? I need my honey now. Gosh, my throat's going. Miss Jane, thank you. Caro, thank you. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger, Corrie.